Greatly beloved were you to me, sings David in today's first reading. He sings these words after the death of Jonathan, his best friend. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. This sounds like a beautiful expression of a man's love for his friend, that his love surpassed any love he felt for women. This expression of loving friendship reverses some of our cultural expectations of what kind of love is most precious. It sounds like a beautiful expression of love for Jonathan, unless you consider what David thought of women. Really, it wouldn't take much love to surpass David's relationships with members of the opposite sex. David's first wife, Michal, was the daughter of David's rival, King Saul. The Bible tells us repeatedly that Michal loves David, but never that David loves her. David purchases Michal from her father for the staggering price of 100 Philistine foreskins. When things turn sour between Saul and David, Saul reclaims his daughter and gives her to a more loyal ally. But by contrast to David, Michal's second husband weeps when Michal is taken from him in turn and given back to David. During the negotiations for her return, David reminds Saul, by the way, of exactly how much he paid for Michal in the first place. David acquires other wives as his power begins to grow. His next wife is Abigail, whose first husband Nabal was stubborn and mean so maybe she did trade up. After Nabal snubs David, David arms his men and sets out to take revenge. He wants to destroy everything and everyone in Nabal's household. Abigail fortunately intervenes, but afterward when Abigail tells her husband how she saved the household, Nabal drops dead all on his own. The translation of scripture that we use on Sundays says that David then sent and wooed Abigail to make her his wife, which sounds very sweet. But other translations say that he sent word unto Abigail to take her to him to wife. David's servants come to collect her, but then the chapter quickly tells us, David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. Both of them became his wives. So while the Bible does let us see Abigail's wisdom and skill, she ends up as another item on a list of David's acquisitions. Like Michal, Abigail and Ahinoam, additional wives are acquired by David from his enemies, from territories he's conquered, or from alliances he seeks to forge. We learn the names of these women from the list of David's many sons. The wives include Makkah, daughter of a king, Hagith, Abital, and Eglah. In addition to these named women, David has 10 anonymous concubines. We learn about them during the story of David's conflict with his son Absalom. David prepares to flee Jerusalem with his household since Absalom and his army are about to attack them all. The Bible tells us that David leaves behind his 10 concubines to look after the house. Absalom does indeed attack. And then to display his dominance over his father, 
Absalom pitches a tent on the roof of David's house, where he displays David's concubines as his own in the sight of all Israel. I'm actually censoring the full story here, but you get the idea. So when David declares that his love for Jonathan surpasses his love for women, it doesn't seem to me like much of a compliment. For David, women are possessions he gains or loses on the path to dominance. The episode with Bathsheba fits this pattern. It takes place in the spring when kings normally go to battle, the Bible tells us. And while David's own officers are attacking the Ammonites and besieging Rabbah. David, meanwhile, claims Bathsheba. David's messengers tell him whose daughter she is and whose wife, and then David sends for her as if she belongs to him. In our faith tradition, David is the most extraordinary example of a man whose story we sell, tell very selectively, whose reputation we curate, whose legacy we transform. We hear most about the young shepherd David's anointing, the battle with Goliath, his friendship with Jonathan, his reunification of Israel's northern and southern kingdoms. But in reality, the Bible includes competing narratives, like David fighting with Goliath just to win a reward that included the king's daughter as a prize. Sometimes we hear the story of David and Bathsheba, but then it gets told like a story of forbidden love, David's one mistake in a life of service to God. But in reality, the story fits a pattern of David conquering and collecting women. Bathsheba was one more asset in a life of seeking national expansion and personal glory. To rehabilitate David's reputation, early editors of the scriptures ascribed to David Psalm 51, one of the most beautiful penitential psalms that we sing on Ash Wednesday. They attribute it to him as if he composed it right after events with Bathsheba. But in the narrative itself, David shows no true signs of remorse. He does admit his sin, and he pleads with God not to punish him. But when he can't manipulate God with fasting and pleading, he goes home and gets himself something to eat. The very many stories about David in the Bible tempt us to be one more institution that protects the reputations of powerful men to preserve what we think is good leadership. The story of David and Bathsheba even gets used today to excuse the failings of our leaders. In Jesus' own day, people were eagerly awaiting someone they called a new David, someone who could restore Israel to what they thought were its glory days. But Jesus in today's gospel gives people something else entirely. He treats a nearly hopeless and excluded woman as a whole person. He takes a 12-year-old girl by the hand and brings her back to life and tells people to feed her. He shows us we deserve so much better than a new David. Amen. Amen.